This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a looper in the left center field. This is going to get down for a base hit. Here comes Phillips, he will score the tying run. In the third goes a Rosa Arena. It's an 8-8 eight eight game, and the Rays have the winning run 90 feet away. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him. Line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Welcome to our latest show. Today we sit down with opening day starter Shane McClanahan. Mark Topkins joins us from Chicago. We'll visit with minor leaguer Matthew Dyer, discuss the race equity grant recipients from Jackie Robinson Day. Plus, we'll talk bullpen with Stan Borowski and chat with team president Matt Silverman. We continue on this week in race baseball, and our feature guest was the opening day starter for the race, and hopefully someone who will make 30-plus starts this year for Tampa Bay, and that is one Shane McClanahan. Shane, great to chat with you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Neil. Have you had a chance to reflect? I know all you've been through as a professional, but to have had your first opening day be your first opening day start, too, is pretty rare and pretty cool. Yeah, I feel pretty honored the last two years, the amount of baseball and kind of the situational baseball I've been a part of. It definitely hasn't been normal to start out with, but I'm very lucky to be here. Kevin Cash has talked about what's most impressive or among the most impressive things about you is how far you have come in such a short time. Do you realize how like how many advances you've made since, let's say, in the last year and a half? Well, to me, I, I, I kind of just try and get better every time I get out there. And so for me, it's... <laughs> I don't do it to, you know, to impress, you know, anybody. I just do it because I know if I want to be a part of this game for a long time, you know, there are things I'm going to have to work on and eventually change and get better at. So for me, it's just about taking the next step every day to become the best player I can be. What's allowed you to take all those steps? Where, like, physically, mentally, you have made a lot of progress. I mean, to go from the alternate site in 20 to top starter opening day starter less than two years later is, is a pretty big step. I think it's kind of a combination of both. I think once once I took my, my mental games as serious as I did the physical aspect of the game is when I really started to see the uh, the lasting impact that I've experienced the last two years. You know, I've worked with Justin Sua extensively. Uh, I try, try and talk to him every day. We usually just try and go for a walk or just have a chat in the game. And uh, that's something I'm very proud of. You know, I think a lot of pro athletes, you know, have, there's a stigma about mental health. I feel like once you start taking that seriously, you know, it, it can help you in limitless ways. So how helpful is Justin? Give us an idea of what allows you to connect because I've heard from so many sure. players over the last several years how good he is. Yeah, I, you know, I, tell you, I, wasn't, I wasn't before a guy just, you know, talk about how I felt and emotions and, you know, struggles or whatever. And it, it, obviously it took some trust and, you know, some time. But I, Justin Sewitt, with a lot of guys here, has been 
a savior in a sense. He has resurrected careers. He has helped people take that next step in overcoming adversity or embracing something or taking your game off the field to the next level too. And uh, he wants you to be a better person, not just baseball player, and that makes a lasting impact on the field. What are some of the things that you do when you're not with Justin that help you mentally? Because I think there are probably a lot of young athletes who might hear this podcast and they might say, boy, I'd like to do some of the things that Shane's doing. You know, when, when you're not here to have Justin or, you know, call him or text him or something like that, it's, it's always good to, to think back about where, you, where you've been and the struggles and the, the work you've put to get to the point you are now. Justin gives a really good analogy. It's called the flashlight. Wherever you shine that flashlight, it's what you're going to be thinking about, what you're going to be seeing. So try and take that flashlight. You know, obviously there are going to be bad thoughts and negative thoughts that come into your mind. But once you can try and train yourself to get off that negative thought quicker or focus on something good, that's when you start to see the success and your mind change a little bit and start to be a little more positive and optimistic and you can get over things. And uh, Sue has been awesome. I know he does that with a lot of people. Very, very fortunate. Well, it's clear it's made a, a big connection. And I think... You know, when you think back to how far you've come, you, you touch on the mental aspect, but, you know, compare what you did, let's say, in college and how far you've come with your routine, too, because, it, you know, let's say at USF, you may start on a Friday, you may not pitch yeah. for another week. Here you've got a five-day routine. So what is your five-day routine like? Because the four days before your start are probably way more important than the actual, or, or they all contribute greatly to what happens on that start day. Sure. Uh, the last two years, I've been very fortunate to be around some of the best to do it. Uh, 2020, I had the, the opportunity for a brief month to watch Charlie Morton go about his business, Blake Snell, Glass now. Last year, I had Rich Hill, Michael Walker, Chris Archer. Very fortunate to have chatted with them and kind of have them take me under their wing and tell me stuff that they wish they did when they were my age, when they first got in the league. And how important you know your flexibility is compared to just say lifting and stuff like that. Archer really hammered that home for me, and uh, it's helped me a lot. So I've been in a very fortunate spot to learn from some of the best to do it, like this year, Corey Kluber. You know, it's 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 it truly is a benefit for me to have these guys around. So give a, a, like a short synopsis. What like day one, day two, day three, day four? What do you focus on on those days from a, an athletic standpoint? So like I said uh, before, you know, learning from those guys. Everybody's routine is differently. So day one after the start is my recovery day day two i pen i lift heavy i run day three for me is my mobility day where i'll I'll do some conditioning move around the weight room a little bit just kind of like touch on my entire body just making sure everything feels good the day before my start it's a prime day just make sure i'm feeling good get the arm moving quick little sprints and just kind of getting the body ready for the the war that is pitching are there any things, you know, some guys are superstitious, certain foods, certain music, any of that for you? I'll tell you the truth. It's weird, but I'm, like, very not superstitious at all. Like, I think the only thing I do, which is funny, it's I drink an entire water bottle between innings, and I like to collect the water bottles. That's like, don't touch them, don't throw them away. I like to see how many water bottles I have because that tells me how deep in the game I went. So if, if you're going good, what's a good water bottle total? Is it, like... Or is one per inning? or Yeah, one every half inning. So I'm hoping for nine a couple times this year. Hoping for nine water bottles. That would be pretty awesome. Let's hope that's the case. You also are doing some really good stuff off the field, too. And I want to make sure we hit on that. Give our fans an idea what you're doing this year and why it's important to you. Sure. I uh, Kawa Coffee approached me, and I was very, very lucky to be a part of what they're doing. And uh, we came together and collaborated to uh, create what's called the Number 18 and all the proceeds 
benefit two charities my choosing, and those two charities I chose were St. Jude's Children's Hospital and Buddy Baseball here in Tampa. Obviously, everybody knows the, the lasting impacts and the, the great thing St. Jude does for kids all across the world. And Buddy Baseball is it's a baseball league. It's so inclusive. You know, the love of the game that baseball has with those kids is unbelievable. It's a special needs kids who might not get the opportunity if it wasn't for Buddy Baseball. And to watch them play, it gives me more joy than I think they have playing it. Well, there's an example of that because it was, what, a couple weeks, if that, after the postseason? And most yeah. guys would have been checked out and said, I need some time for me. And you're at a buddy baseball event. And I know from people there who said you could not have been better with those kids and, and had more of an impact. It wasn't even being about part of the game. It's, it's about doing whatever you can to make sure those kids get the experience baseball and the love they have for it. It's, it's, it's intoxicating, like the pure joy they have when, you know, they hit the ball or when they're running around making a play. It's, it's awesome. It's, it, it truly is. But I think that circles back to my mom. My mom was a special needs school teacher for 10 plus years. And I was very lucky to, you know, sit into her class and watch the way, you know, she taught and interacted and the level of compassion and love she shared for every single person in her classroom really had a lasting effect on me. So I really want to make sure off the field I can give back that same level of compassion and and just I'm at I'm loss of words because this is this is something that's very very dear to me. It's uh, but it's it's awesome. I encourage people if they haven't go go check it out. How important is it to like look as as a player you have a platform and to be able to impact people in a positive way and it sounds like you have found your your true passions yeah i I think it's important to to have an impact and you know a platform but the right ways obviously power to everybody who tries to promote whatever brand they have like baseball's fun brett phillips brand it's awesome brett does amazing things for this community and this is kind of my way of doing trying to do great things for the community is to give back and give that time because i feel like time's the most valuable thing you're right, it was like two and a half, three weeks after our season ended, and I just want to be around them and the game of baseball again. You, Because you're not, like, Brett loves social media. You're not a social media guy by any stretch, no. and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think everyone has to find what's good for them. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, I've always been the type of person that I like to just do things for the sake of doing good things. And But there's nothing wrong with posting. But for me, I, I think it's important to have a private life and keep everything, not keep everything, but to just do things for the right reasons. I think a lot of people get caught up with social media and have to document every nice thing they do. And for me, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not who I am. I, I do things just to do things, you know what I mean? There's no hidden agenda or anything like that, and I'd rather do something and no one know about it except for the people who are there and the people who are close to me. Well, I'm hoping certainly that work you're doing with Cabo Coffee gets recognized and gets the attention. And hopefully people will, will uh, buy enough of those coffees. It'll help raise a fair amount of money, too. Are you a big coffee guy? Are you a big just a Kawa guy? Or? Neil, you're, you're asking me a hard question here. No, to be honest with you, I am, I am not the biggest coffee fan in the world. But this was such a good opportunity, an opportunity for me to raise awareness you know, about two things I'm passionate about. It's uh, helping people and, you know, bringing attention to a really good cause and opportunity for a lot of people and so you know always looking for volunteers there I went kind of I think probably two weeks a week before we left for spring training just to go watch uh one of my my friends his name's Big Dog his dad and I go back and forth and he told me about their game so I just went out there and watched and I didn't realize how how hurting they were for volunteers 
And so, you know, I, I ran to the car, grabbed my glove, and came out and just, you know, was help, helping out. I was, you know, that was with two kids. And uh, I think everybody should be a part of something like that because it's not only is it, you know, it's a good experience, but to see the pure joy in all their faces, it's, it's unbelievable. Well, seeing the smile on your face obviously uh, tells that story, too. What do you like to do? You mentioned you're private, but what do you like to do to unwind? I know you were a Bachelor fan at one point. Do you have a show you're binging? Do you have any kind of what's what's the guilty pleasure right now of choice in terms of TV? Dude, I'm waiting for Stranger Things to come back out. I know a lot of people are. I uh, crush Ozark, Stranger Things. I love The Office. There's a lot of I kind of diversify. I fly through shows and movies so quickly that I'm always hunting for my next new show. Like Ozark, I watched it in probably two days. The season four. And I'm like, man, I wish I didn't do that because now I have nothing to watch. And now I'm just, I'm just, you know, constantly just, all right, one more day closer to Stranger Things. And I would say The Office, Stranger Things, and Ozark are my top three. We'll see. Maybe, who knows, maybe not that you're interacting that much in social media. Maybe someone will find a, a good show for you or your teammates will, will yeah. find you something new that you can pick up on. Hopefully they just scream it out from the stands, you know, like, watch this. And be like, okay, sure, I'll try it. The other thing I want to touch on is family. Yeah. You're, you had said your dad, it would probably mean more to him, the opening yeah. day start than you. So what were the conversations like after, and what has he meant on your overall development? My dad was a very hard coach on me growing up. He instilled the work ethic that I feel like that I try and bring to the field every single day. You know, my, da- my dad is disabled, and, uh, but that guy has shown me best work ethic I could ever have seen from anybody in my life, even if he wasn't feeling great which I know 99% of the time he wasn't. He would always make time to go play catch with me, take me to the field, throw me BP, catch me. While you can't quantify that, it's, uh, it's immeasurable. So I owe, that, I owe a lot to my family and the work and the sacrifices they put in for me when you know, we didn't really have much. Well, here's to a lot of joy for your dad and your family and for you this year and a lot of success, and we certainly appreciate some time on This Week in Race Baseball. Thank you so much for having me, Neil. Shane McClanahan will continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times now joins us from Chicago. Topper, thanks very much for being with us. Anytime, Neil. Always the highlight of the day. I'm, I'm sure. Uh, and highlights have been, well, hard to come by this week. It's been a strange week for the Rays, now four and five after dropping their last four, hasn't it? It has. They just haven't been playing Rays baseball. I mean, the pitching's been okay. I think that's probably a fair assessment. Not great, not terrible. But we've seen some mistakes on defense, certainly a key one in yesterday's game, and some mistakes on the bases, which a couple of yesterday's game that cost them runs or opportunities for runs. So just not playing a crisp game, and, and you know, you start to suggest, is it, is it short spring training? Is it you know, playing an unfamiliar team in, in the Oakland A's and the White Sox that they don't see at all? I mean, you, you, know, you can come up with all these reasons, but I think Kevin Cash was pretty clear after the game yesterday and then you know, a little sterner than he typically is and just saying we got to play better and the guys know that. Yeah, I think, and I think he's right, especially on the defensive end and the base running area, two areas where the Rays 
the last few years have certainly excelled. How much of this also has to do with what happened on back-to-back days? You lose Ryan Yarbrough as a start, then you lose Luis Patino uh, in in the first inning, and now he's on the 60-day IL, and you already had lost Shane Boss. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously been a bit of a revolving door, both in the rotation and in the bullpen, and, and obviously those are connected. You know, Josh Fleming going into the rotation, he made the one start, now he's going to make another one or in a bulk inning outing on Tuesday against the Cubs. So you take a guy out of the bullpen that you're counting on for length, and those length guys can only pitch once every few days, and then you put them into the rotation, so you really kind of lose, in a way, two guys out of the bullpen because now how they use Maza and Beeks has to be different, too, because whoever they use, they you know they want to try to have another guy available, but you don't have them you can't have them both in other words if one pitches you're going to be without the other guy for a couple of days so it's a little bit trickier and we've seen it trickle down we've seen you know, a bunch of relievers have been called up and then sent back down or cut loose will be another guy here tomorrow Javi Guerra was acquiring a trade yesterday from the Padres uh, so it'll be a roster movie there after today's game report tomorrow's game and uh, they're just trying to kind of get through this period of time players can also be called up uh, who were optioned down during spring training 40-man guys can be called up starting tomorrow as well so there could even be a couple moves it's certainly possible. And how much of this also has to do with the shortened spring training and 13 games in a row? Because you've almost had like a perfect storm of issues for this group. Yeah, and, and look, I think to be fair, if a person or a team is not doing well, they're going to say the short spring training was a factor. If they are playing well or their team is winning, they're saying it's not a factor. We've actually seen the race say both. But there was nobody talking about the short spring training when they swept the Orioles the first weekend. Mm-hmm. And now you hear some guys bring it up, you know, like, well, you know, we don't want to make an excuse, but it was a short spring, but this, but that, and some nagging injuries with guys coming out of the spring. I mean, Cash said they're just kind of now getting to the point where they think they can start playing with Zanino on back-to-back days. They've been trying to avoid doing that because, you know, the shoulder issue he had in the spring. And asked about it today, like, for example, is that the reason he's not been hitting well? His swings haven't looked good, and Cash said no correlation there. But you do wonder, you know, a lot of factors, you know, injuries, the short spring, the tough schedule, unfamiliar teams. There's a lot of little factors you take it, put into that, but bottom line is still they haven't played well. They're four and five. Correct. And while a lot of things have been unusual, you could argue that's not unusual. They were four and six and got swept by Baltimore in the 2020 World Series season. They were five and eight last year and 19 and 19 before they got over 500 full time. So a slower start than normal is not something they haven't dealt with. No, and and that's probably, you know, for the guys that have been here and certainly for Kevin Cash and his coaching staff, that makes it easier to tolerate it. But I also think, you know, it's weird, Neil. Like, usually the Rays relish not being the team picked to do well, and they're, like, kind of coming out of nowhere. They, they no longer can have that identity. They are clearly mm-hmm. one of the teams to beat now in the American League and probably in all of the major leagues. And, you know, it's not that teams are coming in, like, playing harder against them or anything, but they, you know, they have something to live up to now, and, and you know, that slow start maybe weighs a little heavier on them, knowing how stacked the AL East race is going to be, how good it looks like Toronto is. You, know, you can make your own opinion on whether Baltimore, I mean, whether New York and Boston are better or not, but they're certainly still going to be good. And, and you know, the fact that this could be a very tight race all season long and to give games away early by making uncharacteristic mistakes, I think that's what's kind of bothering uh, the Rays brass more than anything. And all that said, there have been a couple good stories, and you've done a great job documenting them today. Phoenix Sanders in the Tampa Bay Times, and this week, multiple times, Brett Phillips. Yeah, and then there have been some really good feel-good stories. And certainly Phoenix Sanders, you know, for people who follow USF baseball, know him and are familiar with him playing over in Tampa for a couple of years. But, you know, think about it, Neil. A senior, usually seniors are guys that are signed by teams that just kind of as fillers. You know, they need some roster spots. A uh, senior sign, only a $7,500 bonus, and I say that only in context. And look, 
Phoenix Sanders made every two days he's in the big league, he makes more than what his bonus was. So that gives you a, rel- a relative point for how small the bonus that is, whether, you know, 10th round pick, sometimes they pick guys there, they spend their money on other guys in the draft, they have a limit. So for him to make it to the big league is a testament to his hard work, his willingness to do what was asked of him, and also for the team, for having patience, for seeing the skill that he had, for steering him in the right direction. They made a pretty critical call with him after his first year of pro ball and told him, you know, most, you know, look, most guys get trained to starting pitchers. They become relievers when it doesn't work out as a starting pitcher. They pretty much went to Phoenix Sanders early and said, you know, if you, you want us to tell you what you should do, you should become a reliever. And that's how he got to the big league. So credit to him. And then obviously, Brett Phillips, what more can we say about him and everything he's done uh, on the field and some of the off field things and the incredible story last week with Chloe Grimes, a wonderful young girl fighting cancer for the second time. And, you know, that moment of him hitting the home run while she was being interviewed on TV is still kind of one of those things that gives you, you know, a little tear in the eye kind of moment. So a great story there. And then we've got one more coming up this week is the Kiermaier brothers will be together at Wrigley Field starting tomorrow night. Kevin, obviously the race center fielder, Dan, the head groundskeeper at Wrigley Field. So that's a really kind of cool story too. Well, hopefully people are reading it, and if they haven't, they should. Mark, thanks for joining us on This Week in Race Baseball. Anytime, Neil. Always a pleasure. You are listening to This Week in Race Baseball. Time now to take a look at things on the minor league side. Joining us, outfield and catching prospect Matthew Dyer. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. First of all, before we touch on you know just the start of this season, tell us what it was like getting traded for a big leaguer and someone as established as Rich Hill last year. Uh, I mean, it was definitely an honor. First, I was a little shocked. I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't really hear who I was traded for until a couple hours later. Um, But when I first found out, I was like, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And then talked to some of my people over at the Mets, talked to my agent and everything. And they're like, no, this is a good thing. Like, this means that they really want you. And like, they're really excited to have you. So obviously, it was a mixed emotions at first. But once I kind of got settled in, once I kind of understood what was going on, I was super excited. and, And yeah, just ready to continue on with what I'm doing so where were you when it happened and how did you get notified uh, I was currently leaving my apartment that I had in St. Lucie um it was Friday and I was heading to my game we had to be there I think it was like 12 45 so I was in my car headed that way at like 12 30 and I got a call from I believe at the time he was a hitting coordinator but I believe now he's the minor league coordinator for the Mets and he just gave me a call and just like basically said like congratulations on congratulations on being traded like we just want to say thank you so much for all like the hard work you put in for us like in this organization we just want to wish you the best of luck and as soon as I got the call I, like, I was like oh thank you so much and then hung up and I immediately called my dad and I was like uh what does this mean like is this a good thing is this a bad thing and he's like I have no idea he goes give Scott who's my agent a call and talk to him and he was like no this is all good things like uh, just go get your stuff packed up and we'll kind of we'll get back to you here in like a couple hours when we figure out all the details so the fact that the Rays then sent you to the Arizona Fall League, though, had to make you feel even more confident about how they felt about you going forward. No, yeah, for sure. When I uh, I got told, I think it was, I, I want to say it was like two weeks left of like the regular season. It was like within that last, like the second to last week. They were like, hey, that's pretty good news. Like they want to send you out to the Fall League. And to me, like I've, you know, I've obviously heard about the Fall League and to be actually like honored, you know, to go out and play and be there and like kind of just be around all those type of guys like in that environment it was for sure a special opportunity how much did that help because you're from Arizona originally correct and was that easy just to kind of sort of be in your backyard so to speak no yeah for sure I mean it definitely definitely made it nice because I live live at home Uh, I didn't have to you know stay in the hotel or find an Airbnb with one of the guys I was able just to stay at home and see my family every day uh, be able to go out and 
kind of just be comfortable and not really feel like I'm in like a weird place or uncomfortable per se for six weeks. I was able to be comfortable and like see all my buddies from back home and spend time with my brothers, my mom, my dad. And so it was, it was awesome. And it just, it definitely helped to be able to like just go out and be as comfortable as I can playing the game. How much did you pick on the baseball end and how much did the experience help you there? Oh, I, I mean, I would say the bet like the biggest thing for me was just kind of like seeing what every guy, like every guy brings to the table. I mean, every guy is so, you know, we all go out and do the same thing each and every day, but the way people prepare for what they do is so different. And just kind of be able to pick other guys' brains on like what they, you know, as a hitter, like what they do, you know, at the plate, like what they're thinking, what their mindset is when they go about their stuff. And so for me, it was, it was awesome just to like be able to just like kind of learn, like get that learning experience from, you know, experienced players and guys who've, you know, kind of been around minor league baseball for a while and just kind of see what, like what, what it was like for them and kind of use that for me since that was technically the end of my first year. And now going into year two, like kind of using what they told me, what, like what, how they go about their business, stuff like that, just to be able to go out and just kind of stay even keeled throughout the whole year because it's it's a long season. So you've got kind of a, a unique situation. You talk about preparation. You are a guy who plays the outfield and can play center field and also can catch. So which came first and how do you end up preparing for both types of roles? Well, technically the infield came first for me. I grew up playing shortstop my whole life until I was about, I think I was 15 years old. No, actually I was 16 years old when I stopped playing the middle infield. And then it was my junior year of high school. They asked me if I wanted to catch. Um, and I told them, yeah, like I'd, I'd love to if it's going to get me in the lineup. I started catching my junior year. And then first year I played outfield was my freshman year at Oregon. And then transferred from Oregon to Arizona. And then play, I caught a lot my sophomore year. And then my junior year played a lot of second base. And now I'm like playing pro ball and stuff. Like I kind of just in the variety of everything. Center field really didn't come until last year. Like I played one game, I think, in Charleston last year. And I went out to the fall league and we had a whole bunch of corner outfielders. And I think there was only one center fielder. And then a couple of guys who were like utility guys that played infield and outfield. And so our head coach was like, hey, like you're just you're primi- primarily going to be playing outfield here in the fall league. Can you play center field? And I was like, yeah, I can play center field. And He's like, have you played? And I was like, I played one game last year, but like in college, you know, I in fall, like fall ball games and stuff, I played center field. And he's like, all right, well, we're going to throw you out there and see how you do. And went out there and I, for the most part, did everything I needed to do. And um, and then I think that kind of sparked that I can play center field and catch. And so now, I mean, it's kind of going on a day-to-day basis, just kind of depending on where I'm playing. If I'm catching that day, then I do all my stuff behind the plate, doing all my catching drills and stuff like that. And, if I'm playing outfield, then I go out and do all my outfield drills that day or infield or whatever it is. And then the days that I'm off or days that I'm DHing, I kind of just jump in between all three of them. Like early work, I'll do catching stuff. And then during BP, I'll do a round of ground balls and then do a round of like track and fly balls and stuff. So just being able to like move around, it's for me, it's like it's got to be one of the most fun things just because you're not doing the same thing every single day. I mean, you got to we got to play for 144 games. So being able to keep it as fun as we possibly can, you know, going through situations or whatever, going through being able to go out and just like for me, it's like I'm being a kid again, just being able to go out and just play the game that I grew up playing and just having fun with it. And how do you hope to grow this year? Obviously, you're you probably understand playing those types of positions makes you pretty versatile and valuable. No, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, this year, it's just my biggest thing is not trying to get ahead of myself, just taking it day by day. I th- I felt like last year there was times where, you know, I was thinking of one, two at-bats ahead maybe or a game ahead or whatever. But today, just or this year, just trying to really just stay within myself, like take it each day, whatever day, like th- that day brings, and just leaving it all up to God. Um, big faith guy, and I, I believe heavenly and, you know, our Lord and Savior. And 
I just, I pray every day of that, you know, it just keeps me in my shoes, keeps me on that day and just not worry about whatever's going to happen, whatever's going to come, just stay where my feet are and just go throughout my business that way. Well, we wish you a lot of luck in doing so, Matthew. We appreciate some time on this week in race baseball and here's to a successful first year in the race system. Thank you, Neil. I really appreciate it. And that's prospect Matthew Dyer coming up a special Racial Equity Grant Award winner Stan Borowski on the bullpen and team president Matt Silverman. This is This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solans. On Friday, Jackie Robinson Day, the Rays awarded five organizations racial equity grants of $20,000 apiece. One of the winners, Gulf Coast JFCS, and joining me is CEO Dr. Sarah Bram. Congratulations, Dr. Bram. What does this award mean? Thank you so much. We were very surprised and honored to receive this um, incredible award at this time. So tell me what it means to win a racial equity grant from the Rays and specifically to the fact that it was the winners were announced on Jackie Robinson Day. There is a just significant history rolled up into all of that. Um, I think it's very timely that the Rays make such a meaningful investment in support of equity and opportunities for marginalized communities, especially during a period of substantial growth and investment in the region by companies who have and plan to relocate their businesses here. A major obvious area where inequity has plagued our communities is in the area of criminal justice and policing. And communities of color, especially African-American men of all ages, have borne the burden of these inequities. So ensuring equity and policing has been a primary call by diverse communities nationwide. And St. Petersburg Community Assistance and Life Liaison our call program is responding in partnership with the St. Petersburg Police Department. For our fans who don't know, that's the the portion of this grant is going directly to help with that call program. Give us an idea how it started and maybe how it's impacting the the St. Petersburg community at large. Well, shortly after um, and and honestly before the death of of George Floyd, but that uh, that incident really hit home with Chief Holloway and uh, and the police department. And he began to really focus on how to how to better respond uh, to cases where uh, mental health, especially what we're finding is many of these cases um, out of, you know, all the calls that we've responded to this year, some close to 5,000, 80% of them have been related to mental health. And so uh, rather than having the police be diverted from criminal activity to respond to mental health calls, which in turn make the individuals who are calling the police 911 feel like criminals when they're really just in need of help and they're in a crisis moment. So uh, the chief proposed uh, to uh, mayor and council to utilize uh, uh, some funds to pilot this initiative. And we piloted the initiative for about um, six months. And during that time, we watched uh, how the program performed. And the goal is for all uh, navigators to respond to 80% of the of 911 nonviolent calls without police. And that has been achieved uh, basically starting out with learning from the police, working with police assisting the homeless, and then ride alongs. And now it's just the navigators going out in pairs of two and with a therapist on call when needed. Uh, it's interesting that it does affect the entire community. And we see the calls coming in 26% 
are African-American, some close to 40% are white, and uh, there's uh, others that don't you know, say what their ethnicity is. But we've been successful in responding to those calls and reducing police responses to nonviolent calls so that they can focus on criminal activity. The goal, obviously, I would assume is to expand the program. How would the this $20,000 grant that you would receive from the Race Foundation help with that? And how would it expand and add to the program? What we find is there's great need of the individuals that we that we encounter. We have great partners that provide supportive services also that we can refer to. Some may provide emergency financial assistance, but it seems to never really reach the need because this one might be able to do that, but they can't do this. And someone may need just bus tickets to get or, or a ride you know, to a doctor's appointment to, to get the mental health checkup that they need. And so we are working in the trenches to make sure that there's not a reason why individuals who need help can't get the help that they need. And so we follow up with them. So this funding will support uh, rides. It will support um, emergency kits, uh, uh, including food baskets that families need emergency supplies that they may need for a child going to school. You know, a child may be being bullied uh, because of the fact that he doesn't have, you know, the right uniform or something and the family can't afford it. So so it, it gives a little more flexibility to remove the stigma that honestly is centered in inequities because people simply have not had access uh, to equal uh, opportunities and fairness uh, because we have not recognized that things look different based on race and ethnicity and how people respond. So by and large, this should help with the challenges of mental health in the the St. Petersburg community. And beyond that will allow local officers to spend more time on criminal activity at the same time. Absolutely. And one example that I love is uh, to give you an example, because there was a lot of uh, folks who we're questioning, well, what's going to happen with this program? And is it safe for individuals? And why are you taking money from the police? And it's just the opposite. Um, For example, there was one individual who called the police department approximately 117 times in one week. And police are required to respond to every one of those calls. But when the call program was engaged, the number of outreach calls to that 911 number dropped uh, to less than 15 in that same week period. And that individual is now getting the help that they need. And it frees up the police uh, to really do what they need to do. And it's a win-win because they're not, you know, they receive training, but they're not mental health professionals. And that's what we're finding. I just think it's exciting. It's a great direction for the country and the nation. I think Tampa Bay Rays, by stepping up and bringing Uh, bringing attention to the uh, issue of equity and certainly uh, honoring our history, uh, the opportunity to have this presented on Jackie Robinson Day makes it even more special. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That's 
Dr. Sarah Bram of Gulf Coast JFCS. You can learn more about their group and the other racial equity grant award winners at racebaseball.com slash social justice. We turn back to baseball. The bullpen has had to work a whole lot because of the starting pitching injuries so far. And I asked bullpen coach Stan Borowski if the shortened spring here is similar and different from 2020. Well, the short run-up was a lot more organized than the short run-up of the pandemic season for sure. But I think that we had ample time to get these guys ready, especially the bullpen guys, because they're not building their pitch count to what starters do. So we just have to make sure that we get them out there back-to-back and wrap them around and see how they respond to getting hot and sitting back down and getting hot again, uh, things like that. So we checked all those boxes with them in spring training, and uh, everybody came out of it fine. How important is it, though, that they did allow for a 28-man roster, no limit on pitchers, and that you have 10 bullpen guys at your disposal on a given night, potentially? That's a great safety net, given the limited time we had to build those starters up you know, to eat the innings that they generally do. If we don't have the starters built to eat those innings, even the bulk guys to eat the bulk of the innings, <laughs> then we have to cover them somehow. And Major League Baseball uh, was gracious enough to let us expand our rosters for the first month, and uh, we are taking advantage of it by throwing some extra arms in the bullpen. We've talked about the importance of being careful with the starting pitchers and the ramp up, but how careful do you have to be with the relievers too? Because it's still, even though they're building up less, it's still a lot of work that they have to hold on. Yeah, the buildup with the relievers isn't so much a daily pitch count, but the ability to pitch on a daily basis and then have their body recover and be able to do it again the next day. And you can't jump into spring training and just start them doing that. that that's a gradual buildup as well. So you start kind of shortening the length in between their bullpens, in between their outings, in between their games. And then, like I said a little bit earlier, then you build in the back-to-backs and the three days in a row and the wraparound innings, getting hot the next day and then not getting in a game and see how they respond. Are you more careful, though, let's say here in April because it is a six-month season than maybe you would have been in, let's say, that July-August period of the pandemic just in terms of how often you use guys back-to-back or how often you go two, three innings at a, at a, per outing? I don't think we're any more or less cautious right now than we were then, uh, given the number of guys we have. And we're always trying to protect them and use them in those situations as little as we can. But given the makeup of the bullpen and the interchangeability of what we have down there, that certainly helps us with, with those types of problems. Speaking of, how good do you feel this group can be this year and how varied are the looks and the styles that you have? Uh, this group could certainly be as good as any group that we've had you know, from first guy to last guy, they're all so talented. And all the different roles that they bring, we feel very, very comfortable with all the right-handers, all the left-handers. Gives us, gives Kevin a lot of flexibility to, to make moves during the game. And he can call on any of them at any time and, and feel very confident that the job is going to get done. In spring training, I remember Kevin Cash saying the injured guys, they're all healthy pitchers. But still, the way that Springs, Thompson, Beaks have looked so far. How impressive has that been to you, and how much do you think they'll help this year? I think they're going to be a tremendous help. I think you've already seen what they're going to be able to provide and and help us do during this season. To watch them go out there, Jalen in particular, it's been almost two years since he's been out there in a competitive environment, and to get him out there was a great accomplishment. Our medical staff, uh, you know, hats off to them with the job that they do on all these guys. Just the process that they have to go through to be able to get back out on the major league field 
uh, is a credit to everybody involved in getting those guys where they need to be. And obviously they do a great job because you see the results on the field here. You've got two guys who you didn't know coming into this year, Jason Adam and Brooks Raley. What have you gotten to know about them through spring training in this early part of the season? And what do you like about each of them as people and pitchers? Well, both of them, the more you watch them pitch and the more you get get to know them and you're around them, the more you like them. Uh, both wonderful people, you know, just will take the ball at any time. They're pros. They fit in great with the group. And they just bring a camaraderie and a, a fresh look at some of the things that we do and some of the comments that they make coming in from outside organizations, uh, you know, keep it fresh for us as well. And how different are each of them style-wise? Give us your feel as to what makes each of them potentially really good pieces of the pen. Well, you got Brooksy, the left-hander, who's got more of that low three-quarter slot, and he's going to carve guys up with cutters and sinkers and change-ups and sliders. And then you have Jason Adam, you got the big right-hander that's an over-the-top kind of guy, and he's going to blow your doors off with uh, hard fastballs and a really, really good change-up. So uh, two as contrasting styles as there are down there. How important is it to have someone or a couple guys with those big fastballs? Because right now you are missing an important piece. You don't have Pete Fairbanks, obviously, for a good portion of at least the first half. Well, it's always good to have that velocity guy down there because there's a number of hitters in the league that have trouble with velocity. And then the way the secondary pitches have evolved with those guys down there working off of that fastball is a is a big plus for them. So not to have that guy down there that throws 98, 9900 is something we're just going to have to deal with until those guys start to come back. You mentioned that you felt that this group, you know, they have meshed well with the group. What is the kind of group like down there, and how important is it for them to all get along and to be able to coexist, and, and what's the chemistry? The chemistry is fantastic. I don't think it could be any better. They're all about the same age, all in about the same point in their careers, all very, very talented, all very different routes to get where they're at, and but they're all here, and they're all like in that 28 to 32 age range, and they're experiences in the big leagues have been very similar and they're all been very successful they get along down there they cheer for each other they pull for each other and they understand that they better that they then the better they're all going to be individually it, it all just kind of takes care of itself the extra pitchers that you do have include josh fleming and chris massa whether they're starting or bulking or relieving how important is the length they're going to provide to the group to give some guys rest on days when they need it well, it's always good to have those guys down there because you never know what's going to happen in the first inning of a game, second inning of a game. So you need guys down there that can eat up some innings when needed. And given the nature of the buildup in this spring training and where the starters are only limited to four, maybe five innings if they're super efficient, you got to have that guy down there that can bridge a gap. And then to start out the season 13 in a row, those extra arms down there are really are really valuable to eat up some innings in between. And there's going to be a day or two where guys are going to get knocked around and we're going to have to run somebody out there sooner and for longer than we want. Uh, but we have those guys, so we're in a good place. And both those guys, their stuff has improved and ticked up too, it seems like. Oh, absolutely. Kyle does a great job with all of them. Uh, there's not a guy that comes through this organization that doesn't get better, and that's thanks to Kyle and what he does and the analytics group and how that all comes together. They're fantastic. And one last guy who I think is the unsung hero of the group is Andrew Kittredge. You know, I think he's the only guy who's been on the roster for substantial periods the last three years. Is he in any way a leader, at least by example, with this group? 
He is the leader by example, no question about that. Uh, Kit's wonderful. He Every day he's the same guy. He had an all-star season last year, well-deserved, and I don't see any reason why this year shouldn't be just as good. Just how he goes about his business and his personality, he's just as fun-loving as it gets and just a fantastic uh, guy to be around. That's race bullpen coach Stan Borowski. With the first home stand complete, I chatted with team president Matt Silverman about takeaways from one at Tropicana Field. There are always some some nerves and jitters head, heading into opening day, not just for what we're going to see on the field, but how the building's going to operate. Uh, you have one of your biggest days of the year on the on the first one, uh, and so we're welcoming in 25,000 fans. Uh, you want to get them in. You want them to be able to have a great time and uh, have their food and, and their drinks, and and then and then leave in an orderly fashion. And, and the building worked well. It was there was great enthusiasm uh, in the building. Uh, lots of smiles. It's great to have a sense of normalcy like a normal opening day uh, obviously we raised another banner uh, an opening day win it was a, it was just a great day overall and you know the, the the homestand itself just just getting back into the routine and the rhythm of baseball is, is wonderful uh, and hope that it's going to be a, a nice long uh, fun summer of baseball for the race because you know you touched on it it's been three seasons since we've had a normal season at Tropicana Field yeah, and uh, it was great to to not have distanced fans and to have everyone you know uh, sitting there waiting for the gates to open and rushing in and trying some of the new food items and uh, checking out some of the new features in in, in Tropicana Field because that's one thing we take a great pride in is is making sure each time each year the building is better than the year before and so whether it's some some of the new food items uh, you know the Korean uh, barbecue chicken sandwich is uh, one of my new favorites. We, you know, we were talking about the museum, and uh, there's a, a raised museum down in Left Field Street, just a number of really nice alcoves to take you through the history of the organization and some of the, the great moments in, in our history. It's great for kids to get an appreciation for where this franchise has come from. And I'm sure as a dad who has lived most of those moments, it's kind of neat to kind of reflect and remember back on some things. You're like, oh, I remember that. My first opening day was 19 years ago, back in 2004, when the team came back from uh, from Japan. So I missed some of the the early Devil Ray days. Uh, get to experience a little bit of that, but just to to see this team, especially from the transformation to the the Rays, uh, the success that we've had. And then you know, you just you're sitting in the stands and you're looking up at the rafters and you see banner after banner. Uh, this team has had such great on field success, and uh, this year looks like a, in another opportunity to go deep into October. Yeah, it's certainly tested though. Uh, this has been, I mean, I think for all teams, it's going to be really challenging the first probably month or two to try and A, get into a rhythm, and B, figure out what the shortened spring and the lockout, the impact it had on players. Yeah, it's it's, it's nice to have a couple extra roster spots, but um, you know, we're all working with uh, pitchers who aren't fully stretched out, uh, trying not to put too much of a, of a burden on them, whether it's putting too many pitches on a starting pitcher, uh, having a reliever go back-to-back or three out of four. And with some of the early injuries that we've had, you know, we're, we're juggling and, and we're dancing. We're used to this, and, and we always rely upon our depth, but it's getting tested this year, and um, we're not alone. Uh, so we'll, we'll get through this, we'll get healthier, and, um, you know, should be in good shape for the rest of the season. Your team is just the one that has to play 13 in a row to start the year. I think that's probably why it's a little more challenging than most people don't realize. I think the Rays are the only team that's starting with almost two weeks of action. Yeah, it's um, 
you know, the, the schedule gods may not have uh, helped us out. Uh, it, it was nice to start at home uh, and get into a rhythm that wasn't uh, expected. We were supposed to start in, in cold Boston, uh, so we so we got uh, a good homestand in. But yeah, 13 games in a row. It's a it's a grueling start, especially um, you know with our pitchers still getting stretched out. Uh, but but we're prepared for it. Uh, Kevin and the coaches are prepared for it. Eric and Pete uh, knew this knew this was coming uh, and sort of lined up the depth in Durham. Uh, and try to make the best of it. Fortunately, our, our pitchers are sort of used to the unconventional uh, roles, uh, whether they're pitching in the first inning, the seventh inning, or the fourth. Uh, guys know to take the ball, and um, that you know that it's every man pitching in and trying to help us win ball games. In, in terms of the you know the off the field, you know you mentioned how how it was so nice to see fans back in the stands and see something more routine. How hard was it for the business side to get into the routine of getting games back? Because it did come quickly with the, the resolution of the lockout. Yeah, I, I want to say that we were working just as hard as we always do preparing for opening day. Uh, and we were working hard, but the lockout took a little bit of uh, out of steam out, out, uh, took some steam out of us. And um, until the lockout ended, we really didn't kick it into gear. So opening day still was the right on the day that it was supposed to take place, but um, it was a little bit of a hurry up and, and get there. We're always in that mode. You always feel like you don't have enough time. At the same time, we always seem to pull it off. It was another another sellout crowd, and everyone went home except for like the 12 Oriole fans. So everyone went home happy after the win. And you were obviously pleased with the way things went operationally during the course of the, the first week at Tropicana Field? You're always going to work through some some glitches, but I but I think our our fans were very patient with us, uh, and our team really responded well. Building operated well. You know the lights worked, the sound system was better. You know we we invested heavily in that, and it was it's a big difference when you come in. You sort of you can hear the music, uh, you can hear the PA much better, and. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, in terms of technology, we're always on the forefront trying to push cashless technology. Uh, we're going, you know, digital with our ticketing, and our fans have really adapted to it well uh, with our kiosk that we order from, the mobile ordering. All of these things are working well after the first homestand, and, and you never know. When you, when you, when you turn on the machine, uh, you want to make sure it works. You never know if it does, but it, but it did, and, I, and the fans have really responded positively to it. And you touched earlier on the baseball side, and obviously I think the focus is going to be on the field with this team, but how much time do you invest on that and also trying to make sure you're focused on the permanent home here in Tampa Bay for the race? Oh, look, that, that's always there. You know, the, the stadium efforts are, are always there. And, you know, the, the, one, the one thing that has been our North Star is trying to, to make it work here in Tampa Bay. We want to be here in Tampa Bay. Uh, it's been consistent for the last 18 years of, of Stu Sternberg's ownership. And uh, we're confident and optimistic we're going to figure it out together uh, as a community, as, as a region, um, that we're going to be able to find that permanent home, uh, build it, and, uh, and have that ballpark and that permanence that we all crave. But at the same time, I think you guys have really – focused while the team is playing to do everything you can to make sure hey this is a really good team and has been to the postseason three years in a row now yeah the the ballpark efforts are there um but the 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 concentration and the focus of the organization is on this season it's on operating tropicana field well welcoming fans in trying to bring as many fans as possible in and making sure that there's a great environment for this baseball team because it is it is a great one and we and we don't take that for granted uh, i don't think our fans do either we've had a ton of success a little spoiled by it um, but have another incredibly talented team you know, it's, it's fun it's just fun to see wander in the two hole slapping hits left and right um you know it's great to see some of the new bullpen arms you know this team is built for 
for 162, but it's also built with the idea that we have games to play after 162, and uh, really excited for what's ahead. Race President Matt Silverman, special thanks to him and our guests on the program today, as well as producer Rob Roman. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. This is the Race Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss! He struck him out! Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.